0: Hey everyone, it's the Maximum Alternative Podcast, I'm Mike Parrish, and uh, very excited to have with me today Amigo the Devil, he's on the phone, I'm in uh, Philadelphia in a blanket of snow, and he's in sunny California, so uh, <laughs> it's a little bit of a difference of uh, situation where we're at. Um, Amigo's new album "Everything Is Fine" is out now, and I highly suggest going to uh, get it. So, uh, give it a listen. Not enough of you people are, so that's why we're doing this podcast and get you a little bit more exposure. Um, Yeah, yeah. So, so all right. Can I call you Danny, or do I have to call you Amigo?
1: I think Danny works better.
0: Okay. Okay. you never know, like, people like to stick to their stage names sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. has been yeah. fun. I, I didn't even plan on keeping that name for too long, and then it just kind of stuck. Yeah, yeah. How do, Where did you get that from? Like, like how did that come about?
1: I, I wish I had a really interesting story for it. I try to make some up every once in a while, but honestly, it was just a necessity.
0: Okay. Where I had a couple of songs recorded and my friends were telling me to put them online as MySpace days, so I made a
1: profile and in the profile said, "What what name do you want to use?" And I just thought of a couple of them and said them out loud and I was like, oh, you know the devil, whatever that works for now, we'll put that down for now,"
0: <laughs> and then it just stayed. <laughs> Well, I I went to college in Buffalo, and I got to know the Goo Goo Dolls very well, and they kind of had the same story where they just needed a new band name very quick, and Goo Goo Dolls has stuck with them for 30 years now. (laughs) Yep. So, So... I like to say, and you had a big smile on your face when I saw you and said this to you in person, your music to me is Nick Cave meets Johnny Cash. It's you on stage with a banjo, and it's a great show. Where did that come from, like, that you just went out like that and didn't form a band?
1: Uh, I grew up playing in bands, all types of bands, essentially. Um, musically... My adventure through life kind of started uh, very slowly because I didn't have a lot of people around me who listened to uh, too much variety within the musical realm. So a lot of what I discovered was what I could discover on my own. Um, that kind of led to a very, very slow burn within, you know, actual discoveries of new genres and, and bands that people had been listening to for for 10 years at that point in other parts of the country within the same age group. Uh, And finally, you know, when I decided to not do the band thing anymore, I I went into the brewing industry, which is what I essentially do by trade. Um, And I missed playing music a lot. But at the time, I was in San Francisco and I didn't know many people because I was working all the time. So I had... Bought a uh, banjo at this, this dingy little store, used up, beat up banjo that was just sitting there because I thought it was funny. I thought it was, I thought it was uh, quirky, but I, I, I never touched it. One day I was bored, picked it up, and wrote um, what is now a song called "Perfect Life. And uh, I didn't plan on, on making this a, a long-term career situation. I was brewing. I thought I was going to be brewing for a long time. And then when this started progressing, it just kind of happened naturally, where I didn't really plan the band thing, so I didn't pursue the band aspect. And then over time, I learned a little more every show about how to connect with, with people, and, and people started connecting back, and it became this mutual situation where I really did kind of learn from the people coming out to see more than... than than the other way around um and now it's just what it is i guess
0: (laughs) yeah so so that's interesting that um so you did you didn't really plan on even having a music career then it sounds like it's you just missed it and started playing and it kind of fell into it naturally then absolutely yeah Um, what led you to music in the first place? Like, like, what was that first song when you were a kid that you were like, man, I want to learn how to play music? Um, and and what were some of your influences? Because you have a a bit of a metal background, right? Like, like as far as what you like to listen to and your influences.
1: Yeah, I, I like heavier, um, heavier music. I like a lot of, uh, essentially noise per se, I really, really enjoy just harsh, like sonic landscapes, weird terms, but I just remember liking sounds when I was a kid, I really, really enjoyed the way things sounded, Um, musically, one of my first shock moments where I remember my mom putting a cassette in and and me losing my mind was Meatloaf, which is really funny,
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: I just loved. I loved how big it was. I loved how theatrical it was, and I loved how how expressive it was. Um, and I, I, was, I was definitely young at that time, but that was that's my first memory of of that situation. And uh, my mom was really good about taking me to shows. That she would take me out to see you know, the, the Billy Joel, Elton John tour and Simon and Carfunkel and that kind of stuff. And, uh, then later on, I was probably like 17. I want to say it was the first time that I'd really heard a, uh, story song that, that hit me as hard as it did, which was John Prine, Sam Stone. And it was some guy covering it at a bar. Um, I I wish I remembered exactly where. I remember the moment, I remember the stage, I remember it threw me off guard and took me out of the conversation I was in. And I went up to the, the gentleman who played it and I said, what the hell was that song? And He said, oh, Sam Stone by John Prine. And I just started digging and digging and digging and I couldn't get enough of it. And that's when I realized that I wanted to tell stories through music, essentially.
0: Yeah, I, I asked you that when I saw you. Is like, Where do your stories come from? Because you you have some songs that have some very interesting stories. And um, <laughs> I don't know if you had a, a good answer for me then, and I don't know if you will now, but let, let's give it a test. <laughs> yeah. Where do those stories
1: come from? Uh, I actually talked to somebody about this last night, and they, they asked me a similar question. Um, but they asked from the perspective of uh, why I sing about such, you know, essentially broken people, which the true crime aspect of it, the serial killer thing. And I think the easiest way to explain my fascination with that is that uh, I realized at some point when I was reading about all these cases, and I was just fascinated with the, the morbid curiosity, I has it, but I became fascinated with the 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 aspect of it, that no one really wants to link to general humanity, where everything that causes these people to commit these terrible crimes and, and cause these tragedies, they're all rooted in the same emotions that everyday people feel. Everyone everywhere feels the same root emotion at some point or another. The only difference is the reaction to it. And that fascinated me because I remember reading um, about a case, and, and I, I thought, myself, well, I was younger, still the same, same thing. I was probably 14, 15. And I remember thinking, well, that's jealousy. And I've felt jealousy. And it made me feel very dirty because I didn't want to feel connected to someone who had committed these atrocities, right? But within that realm, I I started wondering more and more, all right, how much of this is relatable to everyday life? And um, it just kind of grew from there. So I think the stories now definitely come from a curiosity of, of what if, how do we take this terrible situation and make it relatable to everyday life?
0: Yeah, one of my favorite songs of yours, and you end it with, uh, I think, at many of your shows, if not everyone, is a love song on the album, uh, I Hope Your Husband Dies. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it. just watching you play that one and standing on the bar when I saw you in Philadelphia and just watching a whole crowd singing along with that song it's just it's powerful man it's like you have these great stories and it's it's you on a stage with your banjo and you captivate an audience you know it's it's are you getting more comfortable on stage were you were you nervous at first when you started playing and how's that going for you I
1: was definitely nervous I I still get nervous I um I always want to give as much of myself as I can at the shows and I get nervous that I'm not going to for some reason, whether I'm, I'm tired or I, any excuse that I can come up with. I, I start to worry, and that's that's where the nervousness comes from nowadays. Um, and kind of going back to what I was saying before, it, it really, really does all stem from people and the, the, the crowds and the shows teaching me uh, that it was okay, more so than me going out there confidently and saying, "Well, this is what we're doing now." It, it definitely was a very, very slow learning process, and you know, when I when I see videos of old shows, I, I used to sit down to play and I would cower and I was very, very, very shy and very nervous, and I would get frustrated easily because people would talk at the bar over the songs. And, you know, that's another thing I've come to terms with is people are there to have fun. Like, you can't, you know, control everything. And so, once I started losing that frustration and I started kind of getting over the fact that it's, it's not a, I shouldn't take it personally, it became a lot easier to just let loose and have fun. And that's, that's been a very, very special moment, in uh, a very special transition for me with this project.
0: <laughs> it's it's funny you say that because I I kind of stood towards the back at that show in Philly because I, I just wanted to take in the crowd as you were playing, and uh, there was also a Eagles game on that night, so some people were watching the TV and. Uh, <laughs> You know, so I'm watching the show and there's people talking and I was like kind of thinking in my head, like, can you guys shut up? I'm trying to listen to the show here.
1: <laughs> and there's, there's some shows where, you know, everyone is there for the show and it gets just some nights it's so quiet that it just gives me chills, you know, and then other nights are, are different. People are there for a different purpose and that's fine. That's, that's completely fine as long as everyone's having fun within their own realm and not you know, being negative towards anybody else, essentially, not ruining it for
0: everyone else. So there's definitely a balance. Yeah. Yeah. Now you, uh, you know, you got a couple shout outs on Monday night raw, I think late last year. Um, and you know, how, how do you think people are finding you and finding out about your music? Cause you know, it's like you're, you're not hard enough for rock radio. Like, like triple a alter you know adult alternative radio doesn't you don't quite fit in that mold you know so radio hasn't been your friend like like has it been the word of mouth there how do you know how have you found people finding you i
1: would definitely say word of mouth is the number one culprit and it has its pros and cons obviously because you you know, you want to see something grow quickly, and just like, bam, there's there's the ticket. Now now it's done. But uh, word of mouth is nice because it's it's true, in my opinion. And this goes with you know with anything with word of mouth. It's it's true. Um, it's not like a quick trick that that someone was fooled and then they're over it a month later. Usually the word of mouth thing it so that it's it's an honest growth and it's a true growth and that that's really exciting for me because i love to know that the people that are that are coming out to shows the you know the newer listeners that they probably are giving it an honest chance because someone that they trust recommended it as opposed to uh being fooled into listening to it, per se, just as, a, as a cheap example, but um, yes, yeah. we, we've been very fortunate with that.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, there's a difference between, you know, somebody that got one song on the radio and has all that behind it, and then they're not really, you know, you go see them and it's not what you heard on the radio. <laughs> versus like you where it's word of mouth and i know next time you come to philly there's two people already that i know that i've told about you that are going to come with me to the show and you know that that's the growth that, that you're looking for you know the people who come see you that are going to bring more people next time you're in town yeah. yeah thank you for that by the way that's awesome oh, dude, appreciate no dude yeah no problem um so uh, you've been out on the road. Um, tell me some of your plans coming up. I know you're doing like the Danny Wimmer festivals this summer or this spring. Um, and what what else do you have in store? And a Dropkick Murphys tour too, right? Yeah. So we uh, we finished
1: this tour with Harley Poe in I want to say four days, and then we have a couple of days at home, and we hop straight into the Dropkick Murphys tour. Um, which ends in Boston on St. Patty's Day, so I am thrilled <laughs> <laughs> to see what that's like. Um, <clears throat> then after that, we, we these little one-offs. Uh, we are we just confirmed, uh, just announced uh, two nights at the Stanley Hotel in in Estes Park, in Colorado, with uh, with Ishiro. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with them at all. No, uh, but they are a, they are unbelievable it's, it's a 50 piece experience essentially and uh yeah 50 plus oh wow and it, it is an incredible show I think it's one of my favorite shows I've ever seen in my life so to, to be a part of that is wild to me um then, yeah, we hop into the, the festival circuit, essentially. We have, we have some other festivals going on, like, like Roots Roadhouse in L.A. It's going to be fun. The Wimmerfests. And we honestly are basically going to be staying on the road as much as we can this year. <laughs> and
0: they're doing a good job of keeping us busy. <laughs> really busy. Well, look to me that that is your biggest selling point. Is when people come see you live, like that's what is going to hook them into you. Um, You know, I've had people listen to your record and get back to me, and they're like, like, yeah, I like it. You know, it's not really something we can play on the radio, but I am like, go see him live, and then you'll figure out a way to get him onto your radio station. You know, so. what, uh, are, are you writing any new music while you're out on the road? And, and to the people listening, not that you should be waiting for new music. You should be going out and listening to Everything is Fine right now when you're done listening to this podcast. But uh, are you are you writing any new music while you're out, or how's that going? I am. I, uh,
1: I find it hard not to. And usually, the especially the way I write, I'm very reactive. So I'll see something, and it'll just initially... It'll, it'll immediately spark a whole dialogue internally. So if I have time, I'll sit down and I'll write it out real quick. And I wouldn't say that I have entire songs formed immediately, but uh, I definitely have a lot of the concepts and framework for, for what will be songs in the future. Um, it's just uh, the nature of my thought process, essentially. <laughs> I, I'm always thinking.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, what are uh what are some of your favorite covers to play i i know you've done covers from like dio to hank williams like, like what are some of your favorites
1: I enjoy that one a lot and then every once in a while I'll do little snippets of of songs that I consider you know I guess other people would consider guilty pleasures and all that I don't really believe in guilty pleasures enjoy what you want to and that's it but you know on this tour for example I've been doing little bits of like the 40 Cheats King Anilud and and some old uh like Pony, Genuine, I really enjoy doing that one. <laughs> Just because it throws people off, and it's fun. <laughs> but the cover thing is, is always it's always been something where I don't... Um, it goes back to the confidence thing. I'm not overly confident in my ability to do covers. So when I find one that I enjoy, I kind of latch on to it and really try to make it as much mine as I can um we're
0: still still finding that that perfect perfect cover right right well listen i i appreciate to, uh, you calling in today so we can do this interview for our listeners or for our readers and um like i said everybody that's listening everything is fine the new album by amigo the devil definitely go give it a listen and Uh, Danny, I hope to see you soon when you get back to the East coast and best of luck to you, man. It's, it's, you're definitely a star on the rise in my book. And, uh, I just, uh, hope you continue to have success and and keep building a bigger and bigger audience. Well,
1: that means the world to me. Thank you so much for your time and thank you for all your support. So good to us
0: and I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, All right, everybody, you've been listening to the uh, Max Alt Podcast with Amigo the Devil. And uh, like I said, everything is fine. The new album, go give it a listen. Thanks for uh, tuning in and checking out our podcast.